I, I have been in this series, which I guess is now stretched out for a little while, So, but we've been talking about things are getting better, and we've been looking at some different things in life, making the case that uh, things are improving in this world. We, are, uh, we called it a series on kingdom optimism. This is not just, hey, I am an optimist because it's my nature, and I, I bury my head in the sand when bad things are going on. I can be an optimist because of the power of the cross because of the, rex- the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the kingdom of God that was released into the earth and is working its way through every aspect of our lives. Uh, I said a couple times this is not really a series on addressing difficulties, because we all still go through difficulties in our lives. There are ups and downs that we experience, but overall the kingdom is increasing. Uh, if you're going through a difficult period in your life right now, you need the word, you need the body. Yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to belittle anybody's experiences, but I'm just saying that is part of the remedy for immediate relief of difficult situations. But what we've been talking about in this situation, in this series, is getting our eyes lifted up off the earth, seeing the big picture, seeing what God is doing. So uh, just to recap a little bit what we've talked about the last uh, few weeks in the series, uh, the Bible promises better. If, if you read through the scripture, you can make a case that the world is getting better because the promises of God are true. So that's uh, that's one thing we talked about. We talked about Christians should be optimists. Who Who is the world going to listen to? Somebody that says it's getting worse. I think it's going to be awful. Or somebody that says, hey, I know the answer. It's getting better because Jesus declared that. They'll, they will follow and receive that message. We should have a testimony. Right. We are carriers of good news. We're not carriers of bad news. So we should have an optimistic nature for a Christian. Uh, one week we shared uh, the world is getting better in terms of the gospel. There are 2.1 billion Christians on the earth right now by even the most conservative estimates. Uh, if you look at it in terms of a percentage, that is a third of the world's population. So for every one Christian, there are only two non-Christians out there today. That's, that sounds like it, it could be somewhat manageable. We still need God's help, but it's, it doesn't sound that daunting when you put it in those terms. Uh, there are reports, uh, some of the organizations that you look at, uh, the rate that people are being saved averages out to 3,000 people per hour. Wow. So pretty much every, every hour of the day that goes by, 3,000 people have come to saving faith. They've come to know Jesus. They've received him. So... When you start thinking about it like that, like they were excited enough in the book of Acts, like one sermon, you know, in a whole day we had 3,000 people get saved. It's happening every hour around the globe right now. That, I would say that qualifies as things are getting better. The, the, the kingdom of God is expanding. The gospel is catching like wildfire around the earth. And then uh, we made the case based on uh, the book of James chapter 1 that all good gifts come from God. And it doesn't take super discernment to recognize this. If it's bearing good fruit, it came from a good gift, which came from a good God. Now, whether or not people recognized him or gave him glory for it on the spot, it still came from God if it's a good gift. Things that extend life, things that bring salvation, things that make people whole, uh, things that eradicate disease, things that uh, eradicate poverty, like we looked at last week. Those are all good gifts that come from God, and they are working their way through the earth now. Uh, go to the next slide. So we, we made this statement, light and darkness can't coexist, so just shine. Uh, you see, there, there's our little optimist running around in the crowd of everybody. He's got uh, the sunshine over his head, and it's keeping the rain off. Uh, part of being a Christian is when we start doing that together. I, I, I don't think it just is keeping the rain and the storm from hitting people, but it actually disperses the clouds. It causes the darkness to flee. Uh, darkness doesn't get darker when the light shines. 
it, it flees altogether. So just shine. That, that is the remedy to the darkness for the body of Christ to rise up and shine. And then last week, we took a little specific look at, at poverty. Uh, we talked about Jesus won at the cross. We're simply enforcing the victory. Uh, don't undermine the cross with your outlook. You know, if you say a situation is hopeless, how many of you know that undermines the cross? You, you're, you're just speaking darkness. You're reinforcing darkness in that situation. You're, you're, in essence, you're kind of saying to Jesus, you can't do anything about this. You aren't powerful enough to resolve my situation and to remedy what I'm going through right now. So don't undermine the work of the cross with the things that we say and do and the things that we believe. Uh, we talked about several enemies. We talked about uh, poverty, sin, sickness, and death. So last week we looked a little closer at poverty. Uh, it is an enemy, and its fruit has been being destroyed. It's been being alleviated in the earth. Uh, we looked at last, last week, we saw a graph that said extreme poverty in the world has dropped in half in the last 20 years. Uh, that's extreme poverty was people living on less than $1.25 a day. And, and that's gone almost half in today's standards and they're expecting it to continue to decline. The other bad fruit that comes from poverty, we saw it's going away. So the kingdom is winning. I, I thought about this verse last week. You know, poverty is more than just money. It, it is a mindset of lack in every area of our life. It can creep in and it really does undermine what Jesus did on the cross. Uh, I thought of this verse in 1 Corinthians. It says, in him you have been enriched in every way. If, if that's true... That means having poverty, a poverty mindset and inviting that into our life contradicts the Word of God. If I believe that I don't have everything I need in any given situation, I am coming in conflict with Scripture that says I've already been enriched in every way. Amen, but you don't know about my circumstances. Well, God does, and He wrote that in the book that says you've already been enriched in every way. Look at your neighbor and say, I've been enriched. Some, sometimes we need to just start there with our confession of changing the words that are coming out of my mouth and beginning to declare things that are in agreement with the Word of God. I have been enriched in every way. And uh, we saw this quote last week, by almost any measure, the world is better than it has ever been. And that actually was not a, necessarily a Christian organization. That came from the, the Bill Gates Foundation annual report for 2014. And he, he, the whole letter was dedicated to uh, the world is improving. By any way you want to measure it, poverty is being eradicated. Diseases are going. Uh, so even if the world can have that good of a report, how much more the body of Christ ought to be trumpeting good news and that the world is improving. Uh, so we declared this last week. We, we said 1 Corinthians 15. It said he must reign until he's put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. And we, dis we said it last week. We looked at each other and said we are his feet. He is actively crushing Satan. The God of peace is actively crushing Satan under your feet. That is what happens in the earth when the body of Christ starts to rise up. Uh, so we're going to look a little bit at what progress has the kingdom been making over the other enemies. We're going to look particularly at sin today. Uh, death is the last enemy to de be defeated, so we'll talk about that one last. Uh, but a couple quotes I had for you. This was uh, uh, They asked some five-year-old kids uh, in kindergarten, what do you, how would you define an optimist? And this is what one of them said. An optimist is someone who expects all the crayons to be in the box. You know, when, when you open the lid, I have an expectation that, you know, if I need burnt sienna, it's going to be in there. It's, it's not going to be cracked in the trash can somewhere. But, you know, whatever those colors are that are in there, uh, 
How about, could we say it this way? That is some real wisdom from a five-year-old. Can, can we say it this way? A kingdom optimist is someone that expects all the promises in the Bible to be true. How's that for profound? Can we, how much more would the world, how much better would it be even, and how much faster would the increase happen if the believers started believing? If, if we actually took the Word of God and said, wow, these promises are pretty awesome. I'm going to start believing that Jesus accomplished them and they're coming to pass. In Him, every promise is what? Yes and amen is spoken by us. It's already settled as far as He's concerned. He said yes the believers need to start believing and saying, so be it. We're, we're going we're gonna to be involved in seeing those things happen in the earth. Uh, here's another one. Uh, this is the meeting of the Association of Optimistic Pessimists. So the lady on the, the, lady on the left, so they're optimistic in the terms of, I believe it's going to happen, but they're pessimistic in their outlook. So the lady on the left is saying, I believe in a future where there's even less hope than today. <laughs> And the guy on the right says, I'm convinced that everything will be much worse in 20 years. The optimistic pessimist. How many of you know sometimes Christians are like that? Well, well, Jesus won on the cross, but it's going to get really bad and he'll have to come do something about it. That's, that's that cartoon. When we act like that as Christians, when, when we, it's like we talk out of both sides of our mouths. Oh, the cross was so powerful. Jesus really accomplished some stuff. But man, you better hang on to your seat. It's just going to get worse and worse until he does something about it. We look at that cartoon, we're like, that's ridiculous. Those statements are stupid. That's probably the first thing that ran through your mind when I read that. I believe in a future where it's just going to get worse and worse. Less hope than today. You're like, oh, that's dumb. Right. How, how much... Does that come out of our mouth sometimes as believers? Jesus is awesome. He's the answer for everything. But boys, boys are going to be bad. Man. How about this one? Even in everyday life, you see optimism about the future. It says the average pencil is seven inches long, which is the half inch eraser. In case you thought optimism was dead. <laughs> I, I saw that and I thought, you know, that's profound too. Knowing what Jesus did, what he accomplished on the cross and through the resurrection, we ought to have an expectation for much more to go right in life than what's going to go wrong. That's, that's what the, the pencil analogy is. You've got seven inches to write stuff with and he's only expecting you to make a half inch worth of mistakes. That's, that's the difference in those things. And, and, if you have to explain it, it doesn't, I guess it doesn't work as well if you've got to explain it. But that's what that means. I'm expecting you to do much more good, to make much more progress, to, to write things down that you don't have to go back and fix. As Christians, same deal. We ought to have much more faith and expectation and confidence in the work of the cross is going to cause things to improve. That's right. The gospel is going to explode. It's going to produce something in the earth. More than what's going to go wrong. More than the power of the enemy to cause it to go wrong. And then uh, I threw this quote out there for you. Uh, this, this was a me quote, so that's why it's not cited there. But I, I really believe this. I've come to this, uh, this realization, I think, that most of the bad news reports we see in the world are the death throes of a diminishing kingdom. The enemy has defeated. He's been defeated. And everything that we see, I think, are just the flailings of... Man, this is my last gasp attempt. I'm going down, but I'm going to try to cause a big ruckus before I'm fully dead. 
Can, can I say it that way? All the, the, the things that we see about war and how people treat things and these murders and all that, they make the headlines because you know, it's bad news sells. We talked about right. that a few weeks ago. Right. But they are the death throes of a kingdom that's already been defeated right. because a more powerful kingdom is being established and uprooting it. So uh, what does the Bible say about sin? Sometimes we, we picture sin. Uh, that is one of the enemies of the kingdom that we were talking about. Uh, poverty, sin, sickness, and death. Sometimes we picture sin as this unstoppable force. Like, oh man, we, we really got a war against sin. And it's, ah, uh, how am I going to resist this? And it's so powerful. What could we ever do to stand against it? That's, that's this picture. In fact, sin is so powerful that God can't even look on it. You know, it's like... Sin happened, and the almighty, powerful God, the creator of the entire universe, has to avert his eyes. <laughs> I didn't know that was going to happen, and I, I can't even go in the room with that because it's so powerful. I, I'm with my presence, I'll have to keep, I'm trying to rein all my presence in here because I can't let it get near that sin. How many of you know sin is not that powerful? God, God has seen it all. I, I, hate, I hate to burst your bubble on this, maybe, but what you're doing, he's already seen. He knows it. He's seen it before. He's seen other people do it. What happens in that moment when, when we sin, though, is something happens in our conscience. It gets addled, and we have this perception of, he's withdrawn his presence. He's, he's far away from me. I'm far from God. Well, how does that part where Jesus said, I'll be with you always. I'll never leave you or forsake you. How does that factor in? Sometimes we give sin more credit than we give God credit for being powerful, for being able to come into the midst of our mess. Now, now don't get me wrong. Sin does produce death. Okay, that that is a very powerful outcome that happens when sin is introduced into the picture. It always produces death. That is part of its nature. You, you can go down the list of anything that, that you see in the scripture that's sinful activity, and there is some death that starts to occur, whether it's in the natural or our thinking gets corrupted. Whatever it is, death comes through sin. So there is power there, but sin did not have the last word. That's right. Sin didn't get the final say on what goes on in life. What did Romans 6.23 say? That's always the famous verse that we quote when we're trying to evangelize people. And we're telling them how bad things are. And you, you really are rotten, man. You need to get out of this. Uh, Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. Why do we stop there? <laughs> Why don't we read the rest of the verse to people? But it says the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Sin doesn't have the last word in the equation. Yes, sin does produce death. That's a really bad thing. That's a pretty powerful force. But the gift of God is eternal life. Jesus did something that is more powerful than sin. He actually did something about it. I, I love this passage. Uh, part of Romans 6.22 in the mirror translation says, You owe sin nothing. You owe sin nothing. So what does that mean? I owe sin nothing. Stop paying rent to a landlord whose house you've moved out of. Can I say it that way? Stop paying rent to a landlord whose house you've moved out of. It, it would be like, okay, Rod, you know, we're taking you out of your apartment wherever you're living, and we're putting you in this brand new house. It's awesome. It's it's already paid for, as a matter of fact. It's free. You get to go live there now. And then you're in the house. You're like, oh, this is pretty sweet. Let me write a check out to the guy whose apartment I was in last month. Let me keep writing. Oh, man, my I don't have any power. <laughs> My lights are out in my new house. What's going on here? Oh, but wait, I've got to write a check to the old landlord. There's all, you know, these things are falling apart. You know, it's a free house. It was paid for, but I'm still writing my checks to the old landlord. That's what happens when we sin. 
I owe sin nothing. Why would I continue to give it anything? And I'm, I'm given part of my life. I'm, the scripture talks about it like surrendering my members back over to sin. That's, what ha- it's, that's what's writing the checks to your old landlord when you surrender your members back over to sin. You've already been paid for. You're a new creation. God has come and established His abode in you. And yet, I still continue to give something to pay a debt that's already been paid. Does that make sense? It's, it's probably not a perfect analogy the whole way down the line, but that was the closest one I could think of this morning. Is We owe sin nothing. Stop paying bills that you don't owe anymore. Just, just like you would never think that. I'm, you know, we... We've sold a couple houses in our married life. I stopped paying the mortgage on the old house. When we moved out, I said, no, thank you. That I got a note from the bank that said this thing is paid in full. I don't have to send them anymore. I'm not going to keep sending them a check every month. Don't do it with sin. We owe sin nothing. What else does the Bible say about sin? Uh, Romans 6.18 says this. You have been, everybody say this with me, set free. From sin and have become slaves to righteousness. You've been set free from sin. That's that's in the Bible, boys and girls. That means you're free. You're released. You're 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 at liberty to do other things than to continue to sin. You've been set free. The amplified actually implies that you can now conform to the divine will in everything that you think and do and your actions. You have been set free to be who God created you to be. You know, what sin did is it was actually keeping you in bondage that you couldn't be that person that God created you to be, who who you saw. Uh, Even Brandy talking about, well, I I tried to be that person in my own strength. That's still not going to get you there. You're you're in bondage to so many things. But as soon as you come to Christ, the power of sin is removed. You've been set free that now I can become who Jesus wants me to be. Now, Now I have liberty to walk in what he's called me to do and to be. The mirror translation says it this way in Romans 6.18. Sin once called the shots. Now righteousness rules. When you were in bondage to sin, before you came to the cross, you had to do what sin said. It, it was, man, without the cross, sin is a really powerful force and, and kills us. But we owe sin nothing. We've been set free. Uh, what else does uh, the Bible say about sin? Here's another verse, Colossians 2, chapter 11. Uh, the mirror translation says this. Sin's authority in the human body was stripped off you in Him dying your death. When Jesus died, any say that sin had in your life, any authority, any place of rule that it had in your life was completely stripped away. That's, that's actually in the context of tur- talking about Jesus actually circumcised your flesh. He, he, he took your heart and He cut away the old nature, the flesh that was there, and put you free to no longer... Being bondage to sin. <laughs> I, I'll just throw this out there because I said it yesterday. We were at the men's breakfast. It was a good time. Mike mentioned it earlier. Uh, we went and joined Berean Fellowship and, and just fellowshiped with the other guys, ate breakfast, and I got to share a little bit. Chris shared a testimony. And I thought it was good. We, we had fun and uh, seeing some unity in the body. But I told him, you know, we, we wrestle with our flesh. Like it's, it's this big, fat, hairy enemy that we have to defeat over and over again. How many of you know that the biggest victory you can win over somebody is to, guys that were there yesterday, kill them. 
How many of you know you are the winner? If you've killed somebody, you win. There's, there's no argument about that. There's no middle ground. We can't go to the replay official. We can't uh, wind the clock back and say, or, or send it to the judges. You know, it's subjective. We're going to give you a score now. If you kill somebody, you've won. And, you know, that, that, is, that is the end of the deal. You may, please don't go home and settle your disputes that way today. Because you, you will win the dispute, but you'll be in jail for a long time. But that, that is the ultimate victory over if you're fighting somebody, if you kill them, you have won. And it's settled. There's no questioning, no doubt about it. You know what Jesus did to my flesh? He killed it. It's, it says I was crucified with him. He nailed my flesh to the cross. He died my death. That's pretty amazing. That means I'm, if I struggle, if I keep going around the mountain with the flesh and, and come thinking that sin has more power than it really has... It's like, well, wait a second. I need to start feeding myself on Jesus won the victory even over my flesh, even over the sin that's in my life. He killed me. I died to sin, and now I live to righteousness. How about, how about this one? You know, because you no longer have to sin. You, you no longer have to sin. You're not obligated to do it at all. That's, look at your neighbor and say, that's good news. You mean... You mean I don't have to do things that produce death in my life? Yes, you don't have to do things that produce death. You are not obligated to sin anymore. It has no power over you. But what if I do? (laughs) You know, isn't that always the question we come to? Well, I don't don't have to sin anymore, but I kind of did. (laughs) What what does that look like now? I mean, you're telling me, Pastor, I've been free from it. It's it's dead to me. but, But what if I do? Well, First John addresses that. Chapter 2, verse 1 and 2 says this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. So, so John's saying, read my letter. It's, it's helping you. I'm writing this so that you won't sin because you don't have to. He says, but. Thank God for. <laughs> conjunctions. <laughs> That was a close call right there. He says, but if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins, not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. That's pretty amazing, isn't it? The goodness of the gospel is that Jesus took care of all Sins at the cross. He doesn't want you to sin. You don't have to. Grace doesn't mean we have a license to keep sinning now. Sin has been disempowered in our lives. But if you do sin, some translations say you have an advocate. I love that word. You have an advocate. You have a lawyer on permanent retainer (laughs) that that you didn't even pay for. Man, how many of you have ever gotten a lawyer bill? Like, man... (laughs) All the money you saved me went right out the door to your bill. But your lawyer has been, you have an advocate permanently. That anytime, like, oh, man, I, I let a little, I, I submitted, I turned my members back over. I, some sin crept back into my life. Thank God I have an advocate that when the father looks, he says, it's okay, father. I, I already took care of that one. That's right. I, I paid for that. that. My blood covered that one too. Maybe you know the reality is, Everybody sitting in this room, all of your sins were in the future when Jesus died on the cross. That's right. Some, That's right. 
<laughs> Somehow we, we make this we have this hang up. We make this distinction between, OK, when I got saved, the blood was powerful enough to take care of all the sins then. But, man, I, I'm building up a ledger after that. that I, how am I going to pay for that? All of your sins were actually in the future when Jesus died on the cross and the blood was enough for all of them. You have an advocate before the father. The same. Why do we throw mercy out the window when we get saved? It's like, oh, his mercy was so wonderful before I say it was saved. You know, I was, a, I was a dirty, rotten sinner. I needed his mercy. But now that I'm saved, man, that mercy ran out. He must be upset because I know better now and I shouldn't. He still has mercy for you. In fact, pretty sure that mercy's new every day. We don't have to sin. But if you do, you have an advocate. It doesn't mean you should continue to embrace that sin because sin produces death. Stop that. Okay? If it's, if it's something God's convicting you about, stop it. It's not good for you. Okay? But you have an advocate before the Father, Jesus Christ, the Righteous One. Do we believe what John announced or not? Remember John the Baptist? Jesus walks down the water. What did he say? Behold, the Lamb of God who took away just the bad stuff I did before I got saved. It says he took away the sin of the world. Do we believe that or not? So just like every other enemy that we've been talking about, sin was disempowered through the work of Jesus. What he did on the cross and through his resurrection, it'll still produce death in our life if we yield our members to it. We, right. we re-empower something that's dead anytime we choose to sin. So stop it. But you don't have to. You have no obligation. You, you don't owe sin anything, Scripture says. So what's been happening with sin in the world? Uh, I told you, if, if things are getting better, there must be some, something about sin that's being decreasing, going off the scene. So I thought about a few things. Uh, the first thing I thought is sin leads to crime. Anybody make that leap? Crime is not a good gift, so it didn't come from God. So sin, sin is something that produces crime. Uh, I saw this in a, in a study from Europe. It said uh, increased use of crime prevention measures may indeed be the common factor behind the near universal decrease in overall levels of crime in the Western world. So what, what that was saying is they're still arguing about why is it going down, but everywhere they look, there is a near universal decrease in crime happening in the world today. Now, call me naive, they're talking about prevention and putting people in prison and programs and stuff. I think it's the gospel changing people's lives. <laughs> it's, it's transforming the world because the power of God has been released into the world. So most of the studies I looked at, they said they can't explain it all, but crime is going down. Uh, here's a couple graphs for you. Now, we showed this a few weeks ago. This is the long-term trend in the per capita murder rate, homicide rate in the United States. So if we're, if we're just living since 1950 till now, we might think, oh, it got really worse. It was really bad. Yes, we're making a little progress. But if you step back and you look, what's been happening in the world since the gospel was released, since the kingdom was inaugurated at the cross? Man, murder's going down. Go to the next one. Just in case you're wondering if, if it's just a United States thing, uh, this is what's been happening in murder in Europe in different countries. And they've actually got a lot more data to look at. They, they said since the 1300s. You know, for the United States, they were only looking, you know, like 17, 1800s. But uh, in Europe since the 1300s, so the 12th century, murder, people killing one another has been decreasing. Why is that? Because sin was defeated at the cross. 
Because the kingdom is starting to spread like leaven through the whole lump of dough until it affects everything. Uh, so different times, there's there have been little, like I said, anything you look at, there'll be little ups and downs. But the overall trend is things are getting better because Jesus defeated sin. Uh, here's another one that's, uh, in fact, that the murder rate in Europe was almost an 80 to 90 percent decrease since they were tracking it in the 12th century. Uh, how about this? This is violent crime in the U.S. just in the last two decades, uh, down 70-some percent. So now, now, granted, you have a hard time believing that stat if you've had a violent crime done against you. You know, somebody assaulted you or, or you know, broke into your house and threatened you. Like, you might be thinking, oh, it's, I told you it was getting worse, Pastor Chris. In the grand scheme of things, you know, that's... that's the immediate difficulty that we need to surround each other for. If, if you've had a violent crime perpetrated against you, you need the body, you need the word. We, we need to be with each other to help us navigate our difficulties. But in the big picture of what's happening in the earth, crime's going down because the gospel's winning. Uh, let's see. I thought of another thing. Oh, I had a couple more things. Uh, if you go back to 1973, uh, rape and homicide are both less than 20% of the level they were even in the 70s. Uh, aggravated assault and robbery have gone down by almost half in the last two decades. And these are like stats from the FBI and different people that track these things. So you can go look them up later if you want. But crime is going down. Another thing I thought about sin, sin leads to strife and conflict. That ever happened? Anybody ever see where sin produces strife and conflict in your life? So if sin has be defeated, been defeated... There should be evidence of less conflict, right? That's right. I'm using logic now. Everybody tracking with me still? So if sin's been defeated, there should be less strife and conflict. Uh, so I thought about what's been going on with war. Because one of the things that Isaiah prophesied, our, our favorite verse that we keep reading, is of the increase of his government and peace. There will be no, so peace should be increasing in the world if the Bible's true. So this is what's been happening with war. Uh, I, I almost I could have saved this stat to talk about death because the, the graph is actually deaths resulting from war. Uh, but you can see in the 40s, you know, we had World War II, bad things happening, a lot of people died. Uh, so and the don't you don't have to necessarily sort all the colors in the graphs. The the colors represent different types of war. You know, was it countries involved? Or was it a civil war in a country? But the fact of the matter is, since the 40s. There's been a steady decrease happening. You can see a little blip there. Maybe Vietnam happened in the 60s, 70s there. Uh, but by the time we get to the 2000s, even with Iraq, Afghanistan, different wars that we've been involved in, the deaths resulting from wars have almost they've been negligible when you look at it in terms of the per capita rate of people in the world today. That's uh, So the, the number on the left is number of people per... 100,000 or whatever per capita is that have died from war, it's less than one by the time we get to the 2000s. And that, that includes like, you know, because we, we get hung up. We look at the news because they report bad stuff because that, that's what sells. <gasps> you don't know what's happening in the Ukraine, Pastor Chris. That's obviously war is creeping up. We're hearing wars and rumors of wars. It's getting bad. It's decreased by how many fold? I mean, and that, that's just going back to the 40s. That's, that's not counting, you know, what did the Romans do? Who did right. they beat? You know, what, what did the Civil War, all the people that were killed at Gettysburg? There are some, some more staffs even before that. But that's just since the 40s. You can see this decrease in seven decades. So uh, war has been decreasing uh, to the point where when we see deaths from war, they're shocking. 
It's, it's not the norm. Do you know that? Come on, can we just can we talk real talk? When what happened on D-Day when we invaded the beach in Normandy? Like thousands of people dying per minute, per hour that they stormed the beach, and it was like, oh, that's war. You know, at, at that point, it was tragic. Mothers lost sons and brothers, and all the family members were killed. But now it's like, man. Two guys were killed last week in Afghanistan. It's like front page on the headlines. You know, look how bad it is in, in Afghanistan. You know, we lost a thousand soldiers in the last two years or however many it is since 2001 or whatever. It's shocking to us because it's not the norm anymore. Because the kingdom has putting, been putting an end to strife and conflict. And the increase of his government and peace is unending. It's producing something in the world. A uh, couple other things. Uh, sin leads to addiction. How many of you have ever experienced that at some point? Sin leads to addiction. Second uh, Peter 2.19 says a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. You know, Paul, we love the verse that says all things are permissible. Because Paul says it a couple times because Jesus really did make you free. But not everything is beneficial. And a man is a slave to whatever has mastered him. We, we don't need to be involved in things that are going to cause us to be mastered by anything other than Jesus. Okay? So, sin leads to addiction. So, what's been happening with addiction? I, I purposely left uh, illicit drugs off the list because there's a lot of uncertainty in the numbers. You know, what's legal at what point in time and what's not legal and uh, what age are we looking at? Are we looking at adults over 18 or kids 12 and adults included? Uh, there was one graph I saw that actually said uh, for the population that's over 12 years old, it's been declining since the 70s. So maybe we're doing a better job with kids with drug prevention. But uh, for sheer numbers, it continues to increase with some of the drugs. So I kind of left that one off the list. But go to the next slide. Uh, here's actually smoking. Now, I don't know necessarily that you, know, you, you can make a case is, is smoking a sin. I don't, I've said it before. I don't know that it's a heaven or hell issue, but you're going to get to heaven a lot quicker if you do it, okay? Because it's, it's going to kill you. So it's, it's not good. And if, if, if it's an addiction, you become a slave to what's mastered you. So uh, we don't want to be slaves and be mastered by anything. But this is cigarette smoking by the decade. So in the 1940s, uh, 43%, 1950s, 44%. So almost half of the entire population smoked. And uh, today we get all the way over to the 2000s. It's almost dropped in half. And, and, and you know, some of that is more education on what's it doing to your body. It's actually killing you. You know, it, it ties into lung cancer and all these other emphysema, all these horrible diseases. Uh, so people have stopped. Well, is it because we're doing a better job educating? Or is it because the kingdom of God is increasing? Or is it both? Is, is education about what that does to kill you a good gift? Pretty sure we said if it's a good gift producing good fruit, it came from a good God. Whether, whether the Surgeon General included God on his warning or not on the cigarette pack, I don't, I don't care if it's a good gift, it came from God. Uh, so smoking is going down. Go to the next one. Uh, this is actually alcohol, per capita alcohol consumption. So any, anybody ever know any alcoholics? That is an addiction. If you look at that, how crazy is that? Uh, the, the left side of the graph says uh, gallons of alcohol per person. So ga- gallons consumed per person in a year. Uh, the, average, the average in the United States in 1700 was five. And it, so I can't, can you, maybe some of you can. <laughs> 
drinking five gallons of alcohol in a year just by yourself. Like, this is just for me. And I just, I just remember Dad witnessing to kids and, and telling young kids, like, before I got saved, I spilled more beer down the front of my shirt than you've ever drank in your entire life. <laughs> so maybe Dad was skewing the numbers a little bit, but that's actually, that's actually what's been happening. It's, it's been decreasing since about the, the mid-1800s and, and going down some. And, you know, is, is alcohol bad? I'm not going to make a judgment on that, you know. Take a little wine for your stomach. I don't, I don't think it's a heaven and hell issue. It, the only guideline we get is don't be drunk. Pretty explicit about that. He says don't. Because what? How do I, I'm, how do I get in so many messes at one time? I'm bringing it on myself, I guess. It says don't be drunk. Because what does drunkenness do? Drunkenness surrenders your self-control. And a fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So, so when you engage in drunkenness, you know, where is that line? I don't care where the line is. All I know is if you do something that surrenders self-control, you're working against what God's wanting to That's do right. in your life. Right. The Holy Spirit's wanting to fashion self-control in you right. as, as a fruit that exists in your life. And if you're doing things that subvert self-control, you're subverting the work of the Holy Spirit. So anybody want to go out for a beer after church? <laughs> just, just <laughs> man, uh, that's what I mean by that. Yeah, you know, there there are so many things in Scripture. It's like, you know, what is God convicting you about, though? I mean, there is a line with alcohol that you shouldn't cross, but it's not. I don't necessarily believe you know you're not a good Christian if you're not a complete and absolute teetotaler. You know, in our house, the way we were raised. We were teetotalers because I remember I dis- have distinct memories of Dad at Christmas time hugging the toilet. You know, and when I was like four or five years old before we got saved, yeah. just like alcohol ruined holidays at our house. Right. So it was like, hey, I'm, we're just not going to do that. Yeah. You know, that's okay for you. It's, it's not like a, a religious thing for me. It's just like, hey, I, I'd prefer not to. Yeah. So I don't know if that helped or hurt anybody's opinion of, of that subject, but. <laughs> I do know how much we drink in the United States has gone down in the last couple hundred years. So pretty amazing. Uh, So what else happens with uh, sin? Sin leads to a disregard for human life. Anybody see that connection with what sin does? We we don't treat human life with dignity anymore. I could have saved this for the death discussion also, I guess. Uh, But abortion has been an issue in our country. I think abortion... Uh, a lot of abortion has resulted from self being made number one, even over the value of human life. And that's what sin does. Sin causes self to be put back on the throne, even to the disregard of human life. So what's been happening with abortion? Uh, obviously, Roe versus Wade happened in 1973. That's why they started the graph at that point. Uh, that's the number of abortions per capita. So per thousand women, uh, that's the number of abortions that were conducted Uh, You can see when it first became legal in 1973, it actually had a pretty steep increase to about 1980. There were were 29 abortions for 1,000 women every year. Uh, What that equates to, if if you want to just talk raw, real numbers, since 1973, over 55 million lives have been aborted in the United States alone. That's that's a pretty staggering, sobering thing to think about. A, A gift that came from God being snuffed out. But that's part of what sin produces. So, the good news is, 
the church woke up a little bit. Now, you may agree or disagree with the methods the church has used, but the church woke up and the voice began to be issued to say, hey, this isn't right. You know, this, this, is, this is human life. So, you know, whether or not you were in favor of, hey, we're going to sit in front of the abortion clinic till we all get arrested, or if, if you're in favor or not of, you know, the, the Catholics stand with the big pictures of aborted fetuses outside the, the clinics every, every week. They're, so, they're faithful. They're there every single week. Uh, but whether or not you agree with those things, some voice has gone out and been heard, and it started to turn the tide. To where that number has dropped from 29 to 16. Uh, just 2011 was the most recent uh, number on that graph. Uh, and just for some extra good news in the fight against uh, abortion, what's been happening in Pennsylvania? Uh, in 1980, uh, 23% of pregnancies ended in abortion in the state of Pennsylvania. Uh, in 2011, that number was 14.2%. So it's dropped pretty significantly. And that quote at the bottom was from an article in the Trib just in January. How I many of you remember the story of Kermit Gosnell, the guy that ran the abortion clinic in Philadelphia? He, he, three years ago, he got arrested because he was actually delivering babies before killing them. Uh, yeah, so, it was, so it's like the woman comes in, I'm here for an abortion, and something didn't work out, or they, they couldn't do a certain type of... So they actually brought the baby all the way out and then killed it. And, and this man got arrested... Since his arrest, you know, and his vow, as horrible as it was to read some of those news articles and the stories that happened and the things that went on in those clinics, since his arrest, about half of the abortion clinics in Pennsylvania shut their doors. Said, hey, we're not, we just don't want the scrutiny. We don't want to be associated with that. It's not profitable. Whatever it is, for whatever reason, they've gone out of business. Yeah. Other things... You know, why is the abortion rate going down? You know, what about increases in technology? You can go in the doctor's office now and get a color picture. That really looks like a baby rolling around in there. It's, it's like the increased technology has, has woken up some women to the fact of, that's actually alive. It's, that's not, they've been lying to me, telling me it was just a little blob of tissue in there that they could just, that's a life. There's something happening. Where did that good gift come from? To give people the ability to see that there's life inside of there. I think that came from God because it's a good gift. Now, I don't know if the company that came up with that color ultrasound technology put God's name on the patent. But I think it came from him because it's a good gift. So, that's, that's a little taste. That's, that's the graphs I'm giving you this morning. That's a little taste of sin has been defeated. And the effects of sin are starting to be diminished in the earth today. And that's, that's part of what we need to start focusing on. Instead of seeing sin as this big, un- insurmountable you know, the enemy that we can't right. defeat, right. Jesus defeated sin yeah. at the cross. And we are seeing the effects of it begin more and more to progressively be rolled out through the earth. So, just to close, I, I gave you a couple tips of defeating poverty last week. I just have one this week for how do we practically defeat sin? How are we putting it under the feet of Jesus? This is the only tip I got for you today. Believe what he believes. Just believe what the Bible says that has happened to sin. Just begin to renew your mind. I wish I wish renewing your mind could be, you know, like this easy of just you know. 
especially with, you know, there's nothing there separating anymore. Jesus, I, my hair is gone, so it, it can go right into my brain. Just get it in there. Unfortunately, it doesn't work like that. I mean, how many of you have tried, like, I put the Bible under my pillow at night, so it would soak in there. You know, we actually have to read it. And, and we have to start believing it. And, and we have to look and see what are the promises. What does it really say that Jesus did about sin? Where are, oh, those verses Pastor Chris talked about on Sunday. Where was that again? Where it talked about, you know, how he defeated sin and what we have to do. That's what we have to do. We have to feed on that stuff. That's right. We have to stop. We have to stop forming our outlook on life by watching the news. Don't go home and say, Pastor Chris told me never to watch the news. That's not what I said. We have to stop fashioning our outlook on what's happening by watching the news. We have to fashion our outlook on what does this book say that Jesus is doing in the earth today. 1 Corinthians 6. That is what some of you were. Paul's telling the Corinthian church, he's like, there's this whole bad list of stuff, you sinners. You know, you're not going to inherit the kingdom of God if you do all this stuff. But we, why do we stop reading after the list? So, you know, we, that's, that's another good one about the, the Bible. Read the whole thing. Don't, don't just like, stop. oh, it's going to get worse. Because Read the whole thing. He, Paul says these people won't inherit the kingdom of God. And he tells the Corinthians, he says, that's what some of you were. He says, but you were washed. You are sanctified. You are justified. That's what we need to feed ourselves on and expect to see the fruit of that coming to bear in our lives. Let's go ahead and stand. And, uh, thank you, Lord. Thank you that you've defeated sin, Lord Jesus. Hmm. Now, what watching the news ought to do is it ought to motivate us to pray. I think that's a good outcome of watching the news, but we have to, even then, how are we praying? Are we praying, are we praying like, please, Lord, it's so bad. I just watched the news. Those poor people. Are we praying from a place of victory? Lord, those people should not be suffering that way because you already won the victory. Jesus, we're going to declare your kingdom to come, your power to be released. Lord, the, the victory that you won on the cross, release in that situation. Just... Receive that this morning. If you've been struggling with sin, especially, if, if there's something in your life like, I keep going around this mountain, I don't know why, just receive this this morning. Lord, we declare that your victory was complete. The work of the cross was more than enough. Lord Jesus, I just thank you right now. I release over your people a renewing of our minds right now. Right now, a renewing of our minds that says we are free from sin. We owe sin nothing. We have no further obligation to continue to surrender ourselves to the works of the flesh. Lord, I thank you that your blood was so powerful that you completely took away our sin. You didn't, you didn't just try to patch it up. You didn't renovate it. You didn't hide it under something. It is completely taken away because of the work of the cross. Lord, I ask that uh, you would cause us to so know that truth, to so have it well up from inside of us, to so drive our beliefs and our actions that we couldn't help but declare the gospel to people, that we would be so motivated by what you've done for us that we just want to share with everybody. Here's the good news. (laughs) Oh, it says in Corinthians that he announces 
reconciliation to the world through us. There's what He's done, the reality that we've experienced of His sin, our sins being taken away by His blood, it should so stir us that we announce it to the world, that we share the good news with there. Look at the relationship you can have with God. Lord, stir us with that, that it would be such good news, that it would be so real to us that the good news would just bubble out of us. Lord, we thank You for what You did on the cross. Something we can never do ourselves, something we can never produce but we get to walk in all the benefits of it. Because <laughs> we're yours and you are ours. God, release it this morning to an even greater degree. Just that the knowing that we know that you have defeated the enemy of sin forever and ever on the cross. Thank you, Lord. Just, just lay your hand on your neighbor's shoulder now. and just, just bless them. Just say, let it be real to them, Lord. Every benefit that you release from the cross, Lord Jesus, let it be real to my brother, to my sister right now. Every enemy that you've defeated on the cross is defeated in their life. I declare it right now. Mm. God, I thank you for releasing people from the treadmill, from running around and around the same thing. Just your freedom, Lord. Everything that you did on the cross, we release it. We bless one another right now. We thank you for your goodness being seen in our lives. In Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Uh, You are dismissed. You're free to go, but uh, there will be ministry at the altar.